All right, so we, uh, we're in the book of Acts. We're studying the book of Acts together as a church, and uh, it's, uh, man, it's really just an exciting uh, narrative. It's a story uh, of what happens after Jesus ascends to the throne of heaven, so he ascends, and then this movement that just uh, really just kickstarts from this tiny place in the Middle East and now has changed and transformed lives all over the world. God has built a global community, um, and it started and kind of really kick-started through the book of Acts. And so um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. If you want to turn there in, uh, in an app that you have or a Bible that you brought, we'll also have verses on the screen if you want to read along that way. But uh, just if you, if you want to reference back, go back this week. It's in Acts chapter 4. And uh, I'll tell you what, while you're turning there, I, um, I haven't... I, I get pull, I've gotten pulled over a number of times by police officers in my life, uh, but there is one moment that I actually got, uh, I, I think it's called a, a sobriety field test. Um, so I don't know if anybody else has ever gotten your, uh, your sobriety tested by a police officer, but I, I have. And, um, and you might be thinking, should this guy have a microphone? And, uh, and I'll tell you the story, because it, 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 it's not maybe what you would think. I, I, I was not intoxicated, um, which my field test proved. Um, and so uh, I, I actually hadn't been drinking at all. Uh, but the, uh, the, what happened was I, ha- I was part of this men's organization in college. I went to Texas A&M and part of this men's group. And every fall we would have a, a, a fall retreat and we would go to somebody's ranch like nearby, uh, nearby the, our campus. So it was, and my parents actually lived in West Houston and College Station is here. And we went to a ranch kind of like halfway between. And rather than like sleeping in some sleeping bag like on the ground in a not great situation after this retreat was over, I just was like, hey, buddy of mine, we're like, hey, we're just going to pop down to my parents' house and stay there for the weekend. And, uh, and so we were driving down. It was super late. Uh, so it was, you know, very, very late at night. And um, we had actually been in a barn. Like we had whatever, like we had a retreat speaker come and, you know, come and share some stuff. And uh, which I've been that retreat speaker now in, in the past. And so I'm like laughing at you know, some college kids are like, yeah, some retreat speaker came and we didn't really listen, you know, and, and then we went on with the rest of our lives. And so, but it was super late. We were in this barn and there was all this like hay and dust. And uh, I thought, you know, I've thought my allergies have been bad the last few days, but man, when we were leaving there, I, I was like, my, I was like just itching my eyes and I was like, my nose was running and I was not in great shape. And I was like, dude, just figure out what Flonase is. I don't know what my, I didn't, I just didn't even have any concept of like taking any allergy medicine, but I was getting rocked and I was driving very, very late at night. My buddy was actually in a car ahead of me. And so he, he was in the car, and we were just driving along these dark country roads, super late at night. And all of a sudden, this, uh, this police officer, you know, pulls up behind me, and he pulls me over. And my buddy sees that I got pulled over, and he pulls off, like, 50 yards ahead, which is a, kind of a not great thing. And so, I'm sorry, officer, we're, we have an officer here. I'm like, this is not great. I'm sure it looked really bad. Um, but this guy comes up to me, and he, he, I rolled down my window, and I'm, like, super tired, and my eyes are all red, and he's like, um, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just on my way to my parents' house. I was at this men's retreat, like, this very, like, obscure. And I was like, he's like, have you... Um, have you been smoking something, man? And I was like, no, no, it's my allergies. See, I was in this barn, and there's hay, and I, I don't even like smoking. Uh, I, like, my dad smoked growing up, and so it was really, it irritated my throat. And he was like, who's that car? And I was like, it's my friend. And so he, <laughs> he goes, he's like, wait right here. So he goes up and talks to my friend. My friend knows me really well, and he's like, yeah, we're in this barn, and there's allergies. And he's like, has your friend been smoking? He's like, no, he didn't even like smoking. His dad smoked growing up, and he's, you know, and he, so this officer's like, you guys are, you know, really synced up on your story here. Uh, and uh, <laughs> he comes back to me, and he's like, okay, so it seems like it might be allergies. You're not looking great, man, so let's just go ahead and field test you, you know? And so I get out, and just like the middle of nowhere, dark country road. It's probably just dangerous because you're so dark out there. You can't see us, me walking down the line, you know, one foot in front of the other. I'm glad he didn't ask me to do the alphabet thing in reverse. I don't know that I could do that. Uh, in any state of mind. Like, that seems hard. Um, and so, but, you know, why, why am I even telling you this story? Is like, the reality is, is like, it's, it's really dangerous if I had been driving, right? Like, if you're driving and you were 
under the influence of alcohol or some other substance, your decision-making is impaired, right? That's why, <clears throat> that's why we care about that. It's not just like, oh, it's, it's just not good to mix them, you know, because you, if you're drinking alcohol, that should be more of a time like where you're kind of stationary. It's not, it's not like a preferential thing. It's a safety thing, right? Because your decision-making is impaired. And ironically, because of the nature of your decision-making being impaired, a lot of times people don't even know that they're being influenced by alcohol, so they go ahead and start driving, right? And it's very, very dangerous, like horrifically dangerous. And similarly, it's really, really dangerous when we just navigate our lives totally unaware of what's really influencing us, right? It's maybe not as acute as uh, driving in a car. The dangers become very, very real very, very quickly, um, but with our lives, we're making very small and big decisions influenced by something. And that's very dangerous when you're unaware of what you're being influenced by. And so, obviously, if you're making really big life decisions while you are high, uh, we should probably talk about that. Like, we should have a conversation, because that's not a great plan for your life. Um, but, but we're not just making really big decisions. We're making big decisions and small ones. We're reacting to one another in just moments. Uh, and, and so it's not just big decisions, it's small ones, and we're doing that under some kind of an influence, right, with something actually driving you. And the only question would be, which influence are you under? What is influencing? What's driving you? What's motivating you? And uh, it might take some work. Actually, it definitely takes some work to get underneath what motivates you, what, what really is driving you, and to understand why you do what you do. That's why counselors exist in some way. Like, they just are going to spend 55 minutes helping you get behind. Why? 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 They just keep, just kind of go, keep going back. What's behind that curtain and that curtain? And just keep getting back there to help you understand why you're doing what you're doing. And there's something there. Like, there's an ultimate why that you're chasing. There's an ultimate motivator that you have. And you might think, hey, not me. There's not something that, like, I'm really chasing. Like, I, I mean, I'm just free. No, no, nothing's influencing me. I'm not, there's no outside force or outside influence that's really driving or directing my behavior. I'm not behaving this way because of something else. I'm behaving this way because I want to, because I'm free. I do what I want to. And uh, in that case, no, you're not really free. You're just uh, under the influence of this idol of control. You just want to be in control. So that's why you're claiming to be free, because you're looking for control. You're chasing something. You're motivated by something. And there's, there's a big four, you know, like uh, there's a big four accounting firms. And so if you, if you are an accountant, you probably have worked for one of the big four. And uh, similarly, as a human being, there's these big four uh, there's these big four idols uh, that, that really show up in, in your life almost every time, and you can trace and kind of see them showing up, and, and control is one of them, and so people are motivated by, they look for, they chase after relentlessly control, right? Um, I wouldn't recommend this video to anybody or this documentary, but Paris Hilton has a documentary, and man, it was fascinating to see this woman who had control just totally ripped out of her hands as a child, how her life felt out of control, and she has spent the rest of it just in relentless pursuit of control. Everything she's doing, all of her motive, motivations, all of her relationships are, are just totally driven by a longing for control. Uh, is, it was... I just, I'm like, does any she see this? Does she and she, I think she would say, yeah, I'm looking for control. Uh, control is one of them. Approval is one of them. That you 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 might not even recognize. It's like an invisible influence that's in your world that you're looking for approval. So the way that you're reacting uh, in a negative way is because you don't have approval that you're longing for, or the way that you're spending all this time and energy doing this one thing is because you're looking for approval from somebody. It's it, the fear of man is another way of saying that approval. You're just afraid of what people are going to think of you, afraid of what people are going to say, because you want and so badly need their approval. You need it. You need control. You need approval. You need comfort, right? 
So you just, you got to have whatever this comfort is. Whatever you've concocted in your mind is like, this is what comfort looks like. This is what, maybe you frame that as like safety, you know. Um, Whatever that comfort is, you need it. Or power, right? You want to have influence over other people, right? So those big four idols, and idol might be a weird word uh, to use there because you might think of idols as more like an ancient kind of like, um, little wooden figurines, you know, um, it's like, oh, this is my little idol, like a, uh, survivor idol. You guys watch the watch survivors on like season 86, you know, like, um, for a good reason. They know they like can build the storylines pretty interesting. Uh, but they use these little idols. And so that's what we think of as little like figurines, but, but, uh, it's just an object of worship. Like right? that's what an idol is. You know, it's just an object of worship. And, and what, you, what you worship is simply just what you trust and what you treasure, what you need to have. What do you need to have? And uh, in, particularly in our culture, our society, like here in Fort Worth, like in Texas, in this area, uh, that's what makes this area really uh, interesting and dangerous. Uh, because an uh, area or a culture in which Jesus is super familiar, Right? you can actually go about using his name to co-opt your other idols. Like you kind of just co-opt his name and put that on top of your pursuit, your need for some other idol, right? You just kind of take and attach his name to that because you're really after something else. You're just using his name to get there, right? And so it's not actually worship of Jesus. It's worship of some idol that's behind that Jesus is going to give to you. That's what we're really worship. That's what's dangerous about a cultural Christianity, and um, it's dangerous because our lives they end up being subconsciously driven by something other than Jesus. Remember, this is about something that's influencing you. It's driving your life, and you're subconsciously being influenced by something that's not actually Jesus, which is dangerous. Okay, because the scriptures they they instruct us to be constantly being in under the influence of the Spirit of God. Ephesians 18 says this, it says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, which basically means like wasted life. Like that's not a good plan for your life. If you're just like getting drunk all the time, Paul's like, that's not a good plan. But the point is not about alcohol, not alcohol, should you drink or should you not. There's a lot of alcohol in this message. Um, but uh, it's, it's not about that at all, It's because he says this, don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. It's about influence. What's influencing you? What's driving you? And when he says be filled with the Spirit, he's actually saying be being filled. Be constantly getting filled up by the Holy Spirit. That's the directive that Paul gives us. And so we get a picture of that in the early church. That's what is happening in, in the book of Acts. And, and uh, Chris talked about this a couple weeks ago, where it's like, is this prescriptive or descriptive? Is this something that we should be doing or something that has happened that now we can't actually replicate? Should we be replicating all of this? And, and, and the book of Acts doesn't give you a clear, like, there's not like a editor's note at the top of this where it's like, hey, this is actually all just descriptive, so don't try to live this out. Or this is all prescriptive, so you need to live all of this. It, does, it doesn't say that, right? And, that, and, and that's because there is some of both of that at play in this. But the process of being filled regularly by the Spirit is the life of the early church. That's what's happening. And we're going to see it in the words that they're actually using. Because it's not a singular moment where people get filled. You, do, you are filled with the Spirit when you trust in Christ. When you become a new believer, that's a regeneration, a coming to life. And, and the Spirit of God is, is what Ephesians says is given to us like a down payment of our future hope, right? So you're sealed with the Spirit then. But you also get this picture not of a second filling, which is if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say second filling, then be free. That's great. But the second filling language that can show up in some kind of like... Uh, uh, trains of thought in, in certain theological camps, and, and basically it's this idea that you're not real Christian until you get this second filling, but that's not biblical. A second filling is not biblical, but a second and third and fourth and 500th and 5,000th filling, a constantly be being filled up 
empowered by the Spirit, under the influence of the Spirit, is the picture that we get in the early church, a community that was formed by the Spirit at Pentecost. Spirit fell down or came down or poured out or however we want to see that. It swept in just like on last Thursday, just winds swept into this area, and then it got like super cold and uh, full of allergies again and wreck, you know, wreck some people's lives. Um, but uh, they're just, you know, dealing with that. But the Spirit, He swept in and didn't wreck people's lives. He changed people's lives. So swept into this place, formed a community, and now He's empowering that community to move forward. And so we're going to get a little snapshot of what it looks like to have life under the influence of the Spirit. That's what we're getting in Acts 4, okay? And, uh, and so we've we got to be focused on, and kind of the way this looks is being focused on the right things, fearful of the right things, and faithful even in the hard things. So focused on the right things, fearful of the right things, and faithful even in the hard things. Okay? And so Acts 4, when we're jumping into it, Peter and John just were used by Jesus to perform a miracle, and the miracle created the context to deliver a message, and it's a message of repentance and faith in Jesus. And so we're going to start reading together. It says, and as they were speaking to the people, it's Peter and John, uh, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So just pause right there. So Peter preaches this message, and thousands of people... Thousands of people hear this invitation to repent and they believe and to believe in Jesus, and they do it. Like they just do it. That's kind of like the amazing thing is like when you're preaching this gospel message, a lot of times people are just going to blow you off, but sometimes they're going to actually believe it. And that's what's happening here. They said yes to it on the spot. And what's crazy about this message was that Peter delivered was not that it was. What was crazy was that it didn't end with like in a minute Andrew's going to come up here and he's going to play guitar at the end of this message and we're going to pray together. That there. Their message didn't end with kind of like a padding of a guitar behind and kind of a moment of prayer and then everybody's going to go to lunch. Like, it didn't end like that. It ends with Peter and John getting arrested, right? So can you imagine at the end of this, the police officer that is here to help keep us safe, he actually was like, all right, guys, hey, remember, believe in Jesus. You know, like, that's, that's what was happening for them. Like, they were like in cuffs, getting drug away, and people were like, you know what? I believe those guys. This is so intense. And so uh, this is a clearly a like polarizing message. But for those who received it at that moment, at least they were clear on this one thing, that, uh, that following Jesus might create some problems for the life that you have planned, right? Because uh, if I'm like here getting cuffed on my way out, you might, you're not going to be like, I guess I can kind of keep my plans and co-op Jesus into this. And it seems like it's either one way or another, right? Uh, and so the question was, why, why did they get arrested? Why did they get arrested here? It says this. It says they were greatly, the, the, the Sadducees and the religious leaders, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching, Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so do you see their issue is not um, with Jesus necessarily. Their issue is with the theological issue that, that they're preaching on. Which is interesting to me. Like, it's not, it's not a beef with Jesus. It's a beef with the resurrection. <laughs> the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. If you're a Sadducee, which is sort of like a camp, a, a theological camp in, in early, uh, you know, ancient Judaism, and so the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're competing camps. Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. And if people started believing in a resurrection... Don't you know that's going to mess with the power base for the Sadducees? Because they're just, tr they're just competing with the other, the other camps trying to make sure that they're in power, that they have influence, they retain their control. And so if people start believing in a resurrection, all of a sudden the Sadducees are like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, t talk about Jesus all you want to, but not the resurrection because we kind of need to retain this piece because we can't have people believing in a resurrection. It's going to mess with our agenda. <laughs> so they didn't care about Jesus. They cared about their idol that he was disrupting. And so that's what's happening with um, secularism. In, you know, secularism, which is just sort of this uh, mindset or a way of thinking that uh, really cuts out God. There's no sense of God being in, in, involved in secularism. It's kind of like life apart from God. 
And now you can slap a religious kind of vantage on that. It's really what's at the center of that worldview. So a secular worldview can still have the kind of shrouding of religious belief, but what it does is going to pull people into a tribal affiliation. Now, you are watching this happen in the world around you today. You're watching people get pulled into tribal affiliations of any different kind, like lots of different kinds. It might be a high-level one politically. You might just do red or blue, Republican, Democrat, uh, conservative, liberal, um, like uh, all these different, like you can just, so many different ways you can slice that. Politically, um, just all the different social issues of the day, you're going to be constantly forced to, to pick, a, pick a tribe. And so tribal affiliation is the momentum or the request of secularism. Hey, do what you want to, but just make sure you kind of put the sticker of what, you know, what tribe you're in on the car. And... Um, you're able, secularism wants to do that because um, ultimately uh, we, we want to be issue-based people, right? We want to be issue-based people. That's, that's kind of how this whole thing is framed up. But the problem is that the Bible doesn't call us to be focused on a set of values but focused on a person, okay? Now, now you might be like, well, there are biblical values. There, and there, I would say there are. But those, are, those, those come from, those are born out of a person, not just a set of values. I actually think that's one of the biggest problems with cultural Christianity in, our, in, in Fort Worth or in Texas would be that we actually just, just are content to have values, but a set of values, and we say, that's central. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says there's a person that's central, and all of these values flow out of him. Do you understand? And so now... There's a book I read recently, Before You Vote. It's a book by uh, David Platt. It's actually really helpful, and I would encourage you to to consider reading it before you vote. It's kind of aptly named. Um, In in the process of voting faithfully as a Christian, right, you're like, oh, is he going to talk about voting? Yeah, I'll talk about about voting if you want, you know. Um, Because... uh, because it's not, it's not as clear as, ever, as the tribes want to make it for everybody. Tribes want to say, no, this is very clear, black and white, just jump in on our side or you're, against, you're with us, you're against us. Um, but what's going to have to happen for you to vote faithfully as a Christian is to actually make Christ the center of your life and your thought life. And from him, understand the different issues that are represented in a vote. So you might vote on this person or that person inside of that candidate will not be all of your hopes and dreams, not if you're a Christian, okay? Because they're an imperfect candidate, but they will represent a vote on a particular set of issues. And so you have to do the work of understanding what those issues are. And then you have to do the work of actually understanding if the vote can impact those issues. So how clear is the Bible? So David Platt does a really good job of this. So on abortion, is the Bible super clear on abortion? Yes, it's super clear on abortion. Uh, that's not something that is in line with God's heart because it's a killing of a person. Now, if you've had an abortion, I'm just going to use this moment to say, hey, there's love and grace unending for you. Let's talk. But let's also not pretend that that's right and, and is okay with God's desire for mankind, right? So there's tons of biblical clarity. Is there an ability to influence that in this vote? Does voting for this person actually create impact for that? And you do that with a whole set of issues. So, so I totally get it. Issues matter. We need to understand, we need to be faithful, steward our vote in such a way that we can impact issues, but they can't terminate on the issue themselves. They have to be generated by, from some place, and that some place is a someone, okay? So if I lost you in all that, just come back to this. You've got to be focused, life under the influence of the Spirit, which these men who are, Peter and John, are under the influence of the Spirit, and they're focusing on the right things, okay? And so, um, yeah, so the Bible doesn't call us to be focused on a set of values, but focused on a person. So focused on the right thing. It's not focused on a set of values or an agenda, but on Jesus. And then that, that creates your agenda, because he has one, okay? And so you keep reading. It says, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them, Peter and John, in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined, so don't, don't actually don't fly over that, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, okay, 
under the influence of the Holy Spirit, being influenced by the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, by, uh, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's called testifying. Peter testified, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so do you see what he was focused on? It's not really like complicated. It's not like a trick question. What is, Jesus, what is, <laughs> what is Peter focused on? Jesus. Straight up. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. It's the focus. It's the, everything hangs on this cornerstone, Jesus. It's all about him. He's at the centerpiece. He's at the center of all of it. And he references the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2. You can see in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says the same thing. He says, Jesus is the cornerstone, and everybody who rejects him, it becomes a, he becomes a stumbling block. To them. Either he's going to be the cornerstone of your life as you're connected into God's plan, or he's going to be the stumbling block of your life. You're going to get tripped up by him because one day you, your neighbor, your coworker, your sister, your brother, your aunt, your uncle, your grandparents, everybody is going to have to deal with him. You will not avoid Jesus in this life or the next. You could avoid him maybe for a lot of this life but you certainly won't avoid him in the next. Because one day you're going to stand before his throne, right? And he says this, and there's, no, and there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He is the only way in which you're going to avoid the great danger that your soul is in. And that's what's, that's what's really, it's a, it's, it's, it's a bummer at an infinite level, you know, if you have kids, you know, they're born into the situation where their soul is in danger. They're not born into a safe spot. We don't, we don't come into kind of a safe haven of life and kind of able to navigate without all the dangers. I mean, you might be able to, like, kind of create a really perfect world for your kids, and I, have, I want that, man. I really do. I want to keep them safe from everything. My youngest, well, I was on a camping trip this last weekend. My youngest, she slid off a bed and whacked her head on the ground. I'm like, oh, my gosh. She got a concussion, you know, she's nine months old, what's going to happen? It's not a safe place, but that's not the biggest danger. Concussion is not the greatest danger for Emma. Her soul was born in danger because her, her soul was born into this world at odds with the living God. And there needs to be a way in which she can be saved. And Peter's saying the only way that happens is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, his name. And so I came across this quote this week. It's, it's from A.W. Tozer. And he defined accepting Christ as having an attachment. Because this, this is the problem. People hear that and they're like, okay, great. Let me um, add Jesus into my kind of like stew of my life, into the, the recipe for my life. I'll bring Jesus in kind of at the appropriate times. And I'll kind of do the Jesus thing. And I'll say his name when I'm supposed to. And I'll pray for that person when I'm supposed to pray for that person. I never actually will. But I'll, I'll say that I'll pray for them. And um, you know, I'll even do the, I'll, you know, since we're talking about voting, I'll do the Christian voting thing, or at least I'll say that I will. And I'll kind of like use Jesus strategically in my life to get where I'm trying to go. That's the dangerous. People will hear this and they're like, oh, or maybe I'll kind of like fire, try to fireproof my life and make sure that if I somehow died early, that at least I'm going to heaven, you know? But here, listen to how A.W. Tozer talks about this salvation that we have in Jesus, or accepting Christ, you know, because that's like what the, you're driving to, accept Christ. What it means is to have an ex attachment to the person of, G of Christ that is revolutionary, complete, and exclusive. It's revolutionary in that it reverses the life and transforms it completely. It is an attachment to the person of Christ. It is complete in that it leaves no part of the life unaffected. It, is, it, it exempts no area of the life of the total man. And I thought he did a good job of kind of just trying to say, this is like what your life is all about, is of being attached to Jesus. We don't attach Jesus to our priorities. We, we see the world through the lenses of the gospel of Jesus 
and he brings everything else into focus, okay? So that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, is to be focused on the right things, which is right someone who is Jesus, okay? So you keep reading Acts 4, verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more uh, to anyone in this name. And so you're focused on the right things if you're filled with the Spirit, and then you're fearful of the right things. Okay? These guys, these leaders can't deny uh, that there was a miracle. But what they can, but what they're refusing to do is relinquish their idols in the midst of this objective reality. So they have things that they're worshiping, things that they are under the influence of, and they won't let go of those things or won't let those things let them go to, to cling on to Jesus. They won't exchange their worship. And it's, I think, because they're, they're, afraid of, of, uh, they're afraid of losing out on what this idol offers to them. Okay, and so what are they actually afraid of here in this moment? They're afraid of the opinion of the people. Do you see this? They're afraid of what people are going to say about them because the people are the means by which they are actually getting this uh, uh, power or control that they really want. So they won't let it go. And, and, and if you go and read verses 21 and 22, it says, and when they further, they, basically the conclusion of this whole thing is that they just further threatened them. They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They, they were basically just, they couldn't, they, they, they had to answer to the opinion of the people. They were fearful of people. And so they were driven by the wrong fear. If you look at Peter and John, if you, in verse 18 it says this, so they called them, this is the religious leaders, called them back in, and they're like, here's what you've got to do. They charged them to not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So they come back in and they're, they're trying to basically make, make them stop messing with their idols. Hey, don't, don't tell people this because we're trying to do something here. You're messing it up. And Peter and John are like, I don't, we're not afraid of you. We're not afraid of you. They're focused on Jesus. They're confident about what Jesus has done on their behalf. And so they're fearful of the right things. When we're filled with the Spirit, we're fearful of the right things. We're going to answer to God and not to you. Now, it might sound harsh, but who should they be answering to? To, to the whims of human beings? Man, human beings are really fickle, and they're not, it's not a great place to try to find your identity. Here's what's ironic to me is that these guys, these religious leaders, they have all the, they have all the power in this moment. They arrested them. They have power. They have all the influence. But the prisoners are the ones who are not scared. The prisoners, the guys who got arrested, were not scared. Why? It's because they were afraid of something greater. They were afraid of someone greater. And did you see, it says it was clear to them. It's clear to the religious leaders that they had been with Jesus. I wonder if, if, you would, if somebody just knew you and they interacted with you, if it would be clear to them that you had been with Jesus. And you might be like, well, I wasn't with Jesus in the same way that, that they were, and that's okay. You can still be with Jesus. You can still meet with Jesus. You can still spend time with Jesus, engage with Jesus. Is your life marked by being with Jesus? The answer is not for you to be more awesome, but to be closer to the one that is. And when you are, that will have an effect on you. It will help you to fear the right things, not human beings, but the God who made human beings. And that is called boldness, okay? That's called boldness. And that's what it says that they, they saw in them. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they saw the boldness. And what does that word mean? 
because it, it intimidates the religious leaders. They're like, these guys are bold. I don't even know what to do. They don't get it. But boldness isn't arrogance. It wasn't because Peter and John were like being really brash. And it wasn't that they were being aggressive. They were like, hey, guys, we just, you know, we got to answer to God on this. They weren't being aggressive like, you'll get out of my face, religious leaders. We're going to do what we want. It, it wasn't that. They weren't being brash. They weren't being aggressive. What is boldness? The, 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 the description that I, as a, you kind of search around, poke around on the word, is, is like, it's like a forthrightness. It's just saying things plainly. I'm just going to call it as it is. That's boldness. You're just going to say what is without having to sugarcoat that or dance around that or try to ma- kind of uh, manage your perception of me in the midst of that. I'm just going to say what is. That's what Peter did. He just said what was. Jesus healed him. I know you don't want me to say that. I, don't, I know you don't want me to go there. I know I'm not supposed to talk about religious things in this setting. I know I'm not supposed to bring up the name of Jesus because that's a hot topic. Or I know, I know this is all like really seems like it's offensive to you, but I just got to say this. Jesus healed them. Now, that's not a license for you to kind of just slap Jesus' name on people when you go around talking to them. Well, Jesus said this, Jesus that, you know, that people, that's, that's not helpful, but you have to do the work a lot of times to understand what, how this person of Jesus actually brings about the conclusion that you're drawing. But nevertheless, that's the boldness, is to say what is. And that's spirit-filled living. Verse 8, it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, not for the first time or the second time, but hopefully the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of times where we want to be filled under the influence, being driven by uh, the Holy Spirit. And when they are, they're not afraid of people anymore. So I don't know if your life is marked by that. Maybe if you're an approval person, you're like all the time just trying to walk this very maze of life because you're so afraid of stepping on somebody's toes or saying the wrong thing. Because if so, all of a sudden your idol will be threatened and nobody's going to like you anymore. Nobody's going to approve of you anymore. You're going to be some kind of a pariah. I I don't know. But if approval is what you're looking for, the Holy Spirit can help with that. And so you're focused on the right things, you're fearful of the right things, and you're faithful in the hard things. Okay, so keep reading Acts 4.23. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, their friends, they lifted their voices together to God and said, so they heard what happened, so they prayed. Something happened to their friends, so they prayed. Now, that's like not a fun thing. Hey, we got arrested. Now, there is kind of like maybe some kind of like crazy story, like they arrested us, and then they said, don't talk about Jesus. And now you might think, because you're looking backwards on time, you might be like, oh, so they just said, forget that. We're just going to do what we want to. Hey, depending on what your idol is, if you want comfort, it's probably not good to ruffle the feathers of the leaders who are going to mess with your life. Okay, you want approval? It's going to be hard to get whenever you get kicked out of the center of life for the first century, which is the the, the synagogue, you're going to get kicked out of them. So you want approval? It's going to be hard to find there. You want comfort? It's going to be hard to find when you can't make any money. You want power? Not going to happen. You want control? All these, all these things that are baked into human beings, that's counter to what these people respond with. So these people are saying, okay, this is a hard thing. Fill with the Holy Spirit. How do we be faithful in the hard things? They talk to God, and they say, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, they're saying, God, you said this, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're they're quoting the Old Testament, talking about the situation that happened with Jesus, where everybody attacked Jesus. And they said, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Everybody was against Jesus to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place, which is a whole other sermon. Um, It says, and now, so so they're like, God, you, you know how this, we got to the situation we're in. You know how the world is kind of against us. You know how, what we're facing, God. And look at verse 29. It says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and kill all of them. Nope, it doesn't say that. Does it? Look upon their threats 
and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to destroy them. No, to heal. And and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. With boldness. And so it just should be shocking what they ask for in this moment. You should don't don't just kind of like Bibleize this and kind of like, oh yeah, of course they prayed that. Like they weren't just praying the right things because they felt like they were supposed to. They were asking God for something in the midst of this, and they they were filled with the Spirit and says, and they asked God, and now Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Help us keep being plain about this message of the gospel. Help us keep being forthright about the truth of the gospel. Help us keep putting that out there. Help us keep delivering the only message that can save people. Help us keep doing that. And so these these people are full of faith even when things are hard. That's what it means to be filled by the Spirit. Even when things are hard, you are faithful, full of faith. Not that God is going to make your life easy and smooth and fun, but that God would use you to continue to advance his kingdom because that's where the goodness is, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so this, it reminds me of, and we'll, we'll, I'm going to tell you about this and we'll close shortly after, but it reminds me of these three guys, like three of my favorite guys in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys are so fascinating to me. They were taken captive from Israel. They were, they were taken captive and taken to Babylon. They were um, with Daniel, who you might have heard, slumber party with the lions guy. Um, and so they were best, besties with him, and they would run around together. And they were kind of the most elite dudes in Babylon. Nobody could stop them. They were just really, really smart and really, really gifted and really filled by God's Spirit to do what he wanted them to do. And it says this, because then everybody saw this, and so they created a situation where they're like, hey, we're going to out these guys for our agenda again. And so we're going to tell everybody they have to worship the king of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were faithful even when things were hard. And it says this in verse 13 of Daniel chapter 3, You can just listen. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king, in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, I don't know what that is, harp, when you hear the sound of these instruments, bagpipe, every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? It's Nebuchadnezzar's mic drop moment to these guys. What are you going to do? So... Shadrach and the boys, they kind of catch their breath. They compose themselves, and here's their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. <laughs> we don't feel compelled to answer you. If, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Which is one thing. So I'm confident that God can do it. Here's the thing that will blow your mind and blows my mind. But if not... But if not, if he doesn't save us, if God doesn't choose to do that, O king, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. It doesn't matter. We're never going to bow down to lesser gods. Never. And so what they're saying is God can save us from what we need saving from. These guys, thousands of years ago, they looked right in the face of every kind of threat, and they said, God can save us from what we need saving from. And so what I'm telling you today is that in Jesus, there are certain dangers that you might experience in this life. You almost certainly will experience them. The scriptures say if you try to live a godly life, then persecution is coming your way in some form or fashion. So in Jesus, there are certain dangers that you might experience, but because of Jesus, listen to me, there are bigger dangers that you never will experience. Certain dangers you might, but there are bigger ones that you never will. You will never be touched by. 
your life plan in Christ has never been in greater danger than when you're following Jesus, but your soul has never been safer. Jesus in Matthew 10 says this, he says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, don't worry about him. He's just messing with your body. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, is what Jesus said. Fear the right things. Focus on the right things. You can be faithful even in the hard things. And so the Spirit of God, what he's doing when, he's, when these people are under the influence, they're filled with the Spirit, they're being influenced by the Spirit, what is happening is that Jesus is real to them. And this is where we're going to close. John Wesley, he, um, he was a preacher uh, hundreds of years ago. He'd ride around on horseback, and he would preach the gospel all over the place. And uh, when he was a young guy, he would run with some other Christians, and they would do something. Every week, they'd ask each other these 21 questions. And the last of those questions was this, is Christ real to you? And I came across, I thought, man, this is such an interesting question. But it's, it's, I think, the one maybe that we need the Holy Spirit to help us answer. It's kind of like a sobriety field test for you. Who are you being influenced? What's influencing? What's driving your life? Is it the Spirit of God? Because if it is, Christ is not abstract. Jesus is not an idea. He is someone that you are focused on. He changes the direction of your fears. And he helps you be faithful in the hard things. So is Jesus real to you? In your heart now, answer, is he really real? Is this something you're just motion you're going through. Maybe over the course of this week, the events of this week have made him feel like a literary creation. Maybe they were wrong about him. Or maybe you've just been chipped away at by a world calling you to worship something else. But here's, we're going we're gonna to get to do something. So if, you, if you're helping serve communion today, come on, come on up here. And uh, Andrew, come on up too. We get to do something today. It's not just nice to get to, to receive communion. It's not like a good habit to be in. There's almost no nutritional impact from what this meal has for us. But communion, listen, listen to me, look at my eyes. If you want to know if Christ is real to you, Jesus cares that he is real to you. And he set up this thing that even, you know, thousands of years later, hey, we're going to do this together. And I want you to keep doing this because I want you to actually put something into your body. I want you to eat something. There's something more real than food. You digest it. I want you to drink something. I want it to get onto your taste. I want to kind of come around your senses. If you ever eat or drink anything with with Bradley Davis, he's going to make you smell it, you know, before you drink it or eat it, because it's like, he's like, so much of it is in the smell. So maybe, man, when you, I don't know if these wafers have any scent to them, but smell them. If this grape juice has any scent, smell it, taste it, receive it, because what we want in communion is for Jesus to be real to us. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, to help him be real to you. Otherwise, we're just like 100 people gathered in a room in Fort Worth doing this weird hobby, but it's not a hobby. Because Jesus was a person with flesh that got torn, ripped apart, blood that got spilled. Because God was saying, I'm going to show you that I'm reconciling you to me, to this body, to this blood. And now there's a promise. So the communion, when you receive it, you guys can go ahead and start passing that out. As you receive it, if you're a parent and you have kids, um, hey, if they haven't been baptized, that's probably a great place to start into this. Right? If you just put your faith in Christ, maybe you're hearing this and you're like, I want to put my faith in Jesus. Um, man, let's, let's, let's uh, baptize you. That's the way that to jump into that. Um, but parents, you know, be, be wise in how you lead your kids through that. And kiddos, if you're not a Christian and you're still trying to figure that out, I would love to talk to you. You can come talk to me. Uh, or you can talk to your parents. If you're trying to figure out what does it even mean to put my trust in Jesus. But what it means for Christians in the room, if you're part of this family of God, that means that over and over again, you're not having to 
you know, rededicate your life to Christ. You're trying to come again underneath the cross and say, Jesus is real to me, as real as this food and this drink that I'm putting in my mouth, and that is my standing before God. Right? So look at my eyes on this. This is Jesus' body that was broken on your behalf. And this is his blood that was poured out on your behalf. And that means that your standing before God is promised and secure, not in your achievement, not in the quality of your faith, but what your faith is in, not in how many times you read the Bible this week, not in how well you were doing and defeating that addiction, not in any other thing other than the finished work of Jesus. That's what you put all of your focus on, right? And so what we're going to do, I know it's a little bit new with the packaging on this deal, but you can go ahead and take that top layer off, and there's a piece of bread there. Jesus gathered with his guys, with his disciples, who were guys at the time. And he said, hey, we're going to eat this meal, this Passover meal. But I'm going to change it. <laughs> it's now my body, broken for you, so that you know how I'm going to reconcile you to God. So, so if you would, um, you can take and receive that broken body. And then um, you can take the other layer off and get to the juice or wine. It's juice, so don't worry. We didn't mix them up and kind of like deliver randomly. But but Jesus said there's a covenant that is made. You know, a covenant is it's when you get if you get mar- if you if you're married you made a covenant. Okay, it's not just a contract or kind of a short-term deal you can get out of. It's a covenant. And God said I'm going to make a covenant with you and I'm going to sign it and seal it with Jesus's very blood how you have standing before God, okay? And so he says, remember my blood that was poured out for you. And you're going to do this, we're going to remember it until I come back. So remember now and receive that drink, that blood poured out on your behalf. And take a minute and um, just be honest with God where you need you need to be under influence um, of the spirit and not under your flesh or some other idol or some other God that's trying to influence and drive your life. Where, where do you need to come back to him and trust in what you just received, that promise? Heavenly Father, we... Um, we are really, really imperfect. And sometimes you are so hard for us to see or to discern or to know where you are in the midst of everything. And so uh, today we just remember that you're right here. You're as close to us as this bread and this juice, God. We're, you're as close to us as you've ever have been. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do a work? Would you fill this church with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill us again and again and again? Would you fill us so that we can focus on the cornerstone and build our life on nothing other than that? Can you help us to fear only you because you're the only one to be feared, God? And then would you help us to be faithful even in hard things, God? Would you help us to know that you're with us? I pray all this in Jesus' name.